Scale Nation, I get people asking me all the time, how do I read so much as busy as I am? And the secret is, a lot of my reading people do for me. That's right, I use Audible. Audible is a service that will read books to you and allow you to get the content while you're driving from account to account. I've been using Audible for years and you can try it for free one book and one month for free on me through our affiliate link, scalinguph2o.com forward slash audible. Welcome to Scaling Up H2O, the podcast where we scale up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. I'm Trace Blackmore, the host of the Scaling Up H2O podcast. Nation, I have to tell you, today was just a fun day. I was on several other podcasts. So five years ago, when I started scaling up H2O, when I got out my Bluetooth headset and recorded on my Android my very first episode, and then I posted that up to iTunes and some other services, I had no idea that five years later, we were going to have well over 250 shows and thousands of people that listen to this podcast. And of course, we lovingly call each other the Scaling Up Nation. We are part of that community. I'm just blown away by that. It is, it, it is, it is incredibly humbling. And I think if five years ago Trace knew all that, I probably would have been too scared to start. But one of the victories, I would say, around that is people are now calling me, asking me to come on their podcast. And I just went on a podcast. So uh, the Water Online Network has their own podcast, and they asked for me to join them. And lots of fun. I mean, it's, it's just so awesome to be on other people's podcasts. Folks, do you know that there's over a million podcasts out there? Some statistics around podcasts, most podcasts never get past episode 10. Most podcasts do not get over a year old. Most podcasts stop before they really get started. So think a million of those podcasts are out there. And when you look at podcasts that are over 100 episodes, when you look at podcasts that have been around for over a year, that puts you in the top 90%. When I look at some of the stats that we have as the Scaling Up H2O podcast in different countries, in different download time slots... I'm just amazed at how well-received that we are as this Scaling Up H2L podcast. Of course, that is because of all of you. That's because you are letting me know what it is that you want me to talk about, and you're allowing me to talk about it. By the way, that is one of these episodes. Today, we are doing a pinks and blues. That means that you asked me a question and I created an entire show around those questions. My favorite shows to do. When I go to different conferences, different trainings, I'm always asked, you know, hey, can you do some more pinks and blues? And I would love to, but the only way that I can do that is if you give me content in order to do it. So I need your questions. I need you to go to scalinguph2o.com, go over to our show ideas page, and let me know what those questions are. Or you can record your voice on our voicemail feature, and I will play your voice asking that question. By the way, when I was at the Association of Water Technologies training, somebody asked me, hey, why do you call a show Pinks and Blues? And maybe that's a term that's not used so much anymore, but that's what my father used to call running test. He would either call it Betty Crockering or he would call it running Pinks and Blues. And if you think about the hardness test, it goes from a blue to a pink. So I guess that's where that got that name. So I came up with the segment Pinks and Blues because typically it's questions around things that are happening in the field. 
What do we do in the field? Well, we run tests. So that's one of the many things that we do. So that's how it's stuck. That's where pinks and blues comes from. And by the way, I don't know if I ever shared that. My dad used to call that Betty Crockering. And the point with that was, was if I wasn't ready to run my tests, and if you've ever worked with me out in the field, you know that there is a specific way that I run tests. My test kit is organized in a very specific way. In fact, my team will mess with me. They will move bottles and reagents around because they know I don't look at things. I just grab and start to use them and they kind of giggle because they think that's funny. It's actually very mean. Anyway, I digress. So I am prepared to run things and I don't like to wait on my tests. And that was the whole point my dad was trying to make. Don't wait on your test. Have your test wait on you and you will be amazed at how much time you will pick up in the field. Think about it. Think if you just say five minutes running your tests and you go to five accounts in a day and that's five times 25. Hey, that's real time that you're getting back. So many people that I see run their test are not ready to run their test and they're kind of fumbling around. Well, that takes time. And if you're having to think about running your test, it doesn't allow the space in your mind to think about what to do next and what to expect and all the things that are going on in the system. I don't know how I got on this rant, but all of this because people ask me questions and I get to write an entire show about it. And as I mentioned in the beginning, I am just so incredibly humbled that other people are asking me to come on their podcast. And people, other podcasters are asking me for advice. How do you put together a podcast? And five-year-ago Trace would just roar in laughter about that because five-year-ago Trace knew nothing about a podcast. Now, seven or eight-year-ago Trace didn't even know what a podcast was. And then I just devoured the content for a two to three year period. And then I decided, yes, I'm gonna take the advice of several of my friends and I'm gonna start a podcast, but I had no idea how to do that. And I just airmarked a weekend. My wife was out of town and I just devoured YouTube content. And I read a bunch of web pages and I probably did a bunch of things that are wrong, but I got our first episode out there. And when I look at what I did back then versus what we do now, it is night and day. Not only has the podcast gotten better, our procedures have gotten so much better. Our team has gotten better. For crying out loud, the only person on our team was me, and I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I'm a great water treater, but I didn't know anything about podcasting. We have tremendous people on staff now uh, Margie and Corinne, a great shout out out to you. You make this podcast great. And if they saw those original procedures that I had, they would just probably roll on the floor because it is so much different now. We have technology that we don't have to do everything manually. And we have a social media outreach, which I didn't even do back then. So there's a lot more that we're doing, but we're doing it so much more efficiently. Not only if you listen to episode one versus episode 250, or if you see what we did five years ago, which was probably even non-existent as far as our postings, to what we do now, it is just incredible. So I hope that that is a motivator for you, that we all start out doing something for the first time, and it's probably not very good. But the reward, the victory is that we started it. And so many people don't start. I've talked with a lot of people that say they want to start a podcast and they never recorded episode one. There's a good friend of mine that I go to church with and he was real hung up about buying a microphone. Well, I had one of my older microphones. I gave it to him. He has yet to record his podcast. So reply that to whatever you wish. The hardest step is the first one. They get easier from there. And then from there, you can actually start tackling that goal. Well, Nation, here are a few events that are coming up that you might want to put on your calendar. So the Stormwater Summit 2022 is happening in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And that's going to be June 27th through 29th. 
And this is the Water Environmental Federation Stormwater Institute in cooperation with the Central States Water Environmental Association. So if this is something you want to learn more about, you can either attend in person and they also have a virtual option. We're going to have all that information on our show notes page. So make sure you go visit that. And then we're also getting ready to have the BOMA 2022 International Conference. That's going to be in one of my favorite cities, Nashville, Tennessee. Have you ever had Nashville hot chicken? My favorite thing to do in Nashville is to go to Hattie B's, get the extra hot chicken. You're probably not going to eat anything after that. You're not going to taste a lot after that, but they do hot chicken right. And hot chicken is when uh, you make fried chicken, you dip it in hot sauce before you bread it. It is, it is one of the finest Southern cuisines out there, but I digress from BOMA. The BOMA International Conference, June 25th through 28th in Nashville, Tennessee. So if you are a building owner or manager, you're probably going to be here. Or if you do business with building owners or managers, this is a great place to go. I volunteered quite a bit with BOMA in our local community here in Atlanta and just a great organization. So to find out more about that, you can go to our show notes page. And then also the International Water Conference, the IWC, November 6th through 10th in Orlando, Florida. The last time they were in Orlando, Florida, they invited me to come down and cover the podcast of them having the conference. And that was such a milestone because uh, an association was reaching out to me to help them reach other people. And I actually interviewed a couple of people on their convention committee. The IWC is actually one of the organizations that helps start the AWT. So to find out more about that, you can go to our show notes page. Speaking of the Association of Water Technology, September 21st through 24th in Vancouver, Canada, the Association of Water Technologies is having their annual conference. I, of course, will be there. I hope to see you there. And if you plan on going, folks, do not waste any time if you have not updated your passport. It might take longer than you think to get your new passport. Do it now. Make a note. As soon as you get home, you're going to look into that because you may not be able to go because your passport is out of date. And you might say, Trace, my passport doesn't expire until two months after the convention. Well, guess what? That is considered an expired passport. You need a passport that is good for six months when you return from the country. So make sure you check that expiration date. And if you don't have something that is further out than six months, you need to get that updated. So Nation, if you go to our show notes page, we will have a link that will take you directly to what you need to do to renew your passport. Yes, my team is doing all the work for you, so all you have to do is click, but you've got to do it, otherwise you might find yourself in trouble. You know, speaking of our show notes page, there's just so much information on the show notes page. So maybe there's an episode that you missed and there's a particular topic that you want to search. There's a search bar there. You can put whatever that topic is and you can search it. And the cool thing, you might not know this, but there is a transcript to every single podcast that we have done and it will search for that word and it will pull up that podcast. Uh, Google will do that sometimes, but it will definitely do that within our website, scalinguph2o.com. So if there's something you want to learn more about, it might already be in our Scaling Up H2O vault. Go and search that. And then, of course, whenever I mention anything on the show, we tag that, whether it is a product, whether it is a sponsor, whether it is a convention or a training or anything, we always make sure that that information is on our show notes page. So if you hear something on this show, you can go straight to that show on our show notes page. You can scroll down and you can click directly to whatever it is that we were talking about. We were trying to make it as easy as possible 
for you to be a better industrial water treater without wrecking your car by taking notes when you listen to this podcast. So if you haven't been to our show notes page, make sure you do that. It is a treasure trove of information. Speaking of a treasure trove of information, here is our friend, James McDonald. Welcome to Thinking on Water with James, the segment where we don't give you the answers, we give you the topics and questions for you to think about, drop by drop. Now let's get to it. In this week's episode, we're thinking about whether the brine tank on your softener system reaches 100% saturation between softener regenerations. Do you know? Have you ever measured percent brine saturation in your brine? How would you measure percent saturation? When is the best time to measure it? If it is not reaching 100% saturation, can anything be done to improve it? What is the impact upon softener regeneration with less than 100% brine saturation? Take this week to think about the percent brine saturation in your softener system's brine tank. Be sure to follow hashtag TOW22 and hashtag ScalingUpH2O to share your thoughts on each week's Thinking on Water. I'm James McDonald, and I look forward to learning more from you. James, as always, thank you for making us think a little bit harder around our career. Well, Nation, let's get into our Pinks and Blues episode. Here's the question. Most of us have to test for chlorine to prove that we are properly treating a system. What test should we be using, and what is the difference between free and total chlorine? As I mentioned, I took a couple of liberties with that question. I combined a couple of questions into one, and I think that gets us a great starting point to talk about our chlorine tests. So we're going to dive right into that. And I briefly touched on this back in episode 157, where I talked about interferences. And I talked about some common tests and some common interferences. So I briefly mentioned some of the interferences around the chlorine test or the halogen test. So feel free to go back there and review episode 157. By the way, I've reviewed several of the requests to go into more detail about some test interferences. So I'm probably going to have another show around test interferences in the future, but we are going to talk about some of the interferences around the common halogen or chlorine tests that we do run. We're going to do that today. So the question is all around testing for chlorine. And in order to answer this question properly, I think it's a great opportunity to go into more detail about this test in general. The first thing I'd like to cover is why we test for chlorine in the system. And I say chlorine because that's how everybody referred to the halogen in this question. But let's face it, we're really testing for a halogen. And a halogen is a chemical that forms a salt when it reacts with a metal. There are five halogens in the periodic table, fluorine, chlorine, bromine, iodine, you want to say iodine, and of course, astatine. These halogens are highly reactive, which means they're quick to form bonds with other elements. Now, if you were on the periodic table, you can find the whole column of halogens by going all the way to the end and moving to the second column that's from the farthest right. All of those items are the halogens, and you will find each one of the halogens that I just read off. You'll also hear these in our industry referred to as oxidizers. Oxidizers are solids, liquids, or gases that react readily with most organic material or reducing agents with very little energy that has to go into them. A reducing agent is a substance that can be oxidized by losing some of its electrons. Thereby, an oxidizing agent is a substance that can be reduced by gaining electrons. 
We can talk about all that chemistry on another show, but I think we've defined that enough now that I think we can just get on with it. For our purposes, we generally use chlorine or bromine, and we will commonly hear them referred to as either oxidizers or halogens. And we will use those words interchangeably. I've even seen both of those words on the same service report. Now, I'm going to caution you. You should probably pick one and stick with it because that is very confusing to our clients. And then to add even more complication to that, there are a ton of combinations of oxidizers. Something we might be very familiar with is bromochloral dimethylhydantoin, or BCDMH, and that is a mixture of bromine and chlorine and some other things. Then we have trichlor, we have dichlor, we have all these other types of chlors, and normally they have a stabilizer blended in with them. Now, the stabilizer protects the halogen from sunlight, and normally you'll see this used in pools. And if you're wondering, the stabilizer is isocyanuric acid. And we normally don't use that in water treatment. We don't need that in water treatment. However, in pools, we need that because there's a lot of sunlight there. And what will happen in pools, and there's no bleed on pools like there is in a cooling tower, is that stabilizer will build up and build up and build up, and eventually too much stabilizer could render the halogen ineffective. And they actually have to drain part of the pool. So all of that to say, now we kind of know the neighborhood of all the different products that are out there. You knowing that, let's move on to the tests. Actually, before we move on the tests, if you do not know what halogens you are using, let that be your homework. What halogens are you using? And ask yourself, why are you using those? Because someone always told me to use this. We'll try to find out a little bit more information. Why is this the halogen of choice? Why are you using it? Why is someone telling you to use it? And when you know that, it will start to make a lot more sense to you. Now that you know that, let's move on to tests. Now, there's two tests out there, two different methods that we can use to test for chlorine or halogen. I'm going to start calling just halogen. And the first one is the OT method. And if you have a pool and you bought a chlorine test from Walmart, this is probably what you are using. OT stands for orthotolidine. And it's an older test, and this is the test that has a yellow endpoint. It's not the best to see, and there's also a comparator that you can hold up to that. The thing about the OT test is it only tests for total chlorine. That's the only thing that it's able to do. Because of that, many of us have never seen an OT test. We use something called DPD. DPD stands for diethylphenylenediamine, easier to say, DPD. And the thing about DPD is it can test for both free and total halogen. This gives you a really nice red color change. And I'm, I'm willing to bet that we're all using this and we're probably either using it where we're using a powdered form of a pre-measured reagent into a measured sample, or we have a titration form of this where we're counting drops until we get a red color change. And when we do that, we're able to get a very decisive test, and we can even put that into a spectrophotometer, and I believe that's around the 520 nanometer range, who cares that? We either put in the chlorine or bromine program on our spectrophotometer and it reads that out. But for if you're ever on Jeopardy and you want to know, that's the 520 nanometer wavelength. And again, all that to say, what test should we be using? It's the DPD method because that gives us a better type of test, an easier to use test, especially for industrial water treatment. I think the pool industry is even moving more to the DPD method. Let's face it, it's easier to read, it's less toxic, 
You can measure both free and total halogen. It comes in different varieties. Like I said, you can have a pre-measured pillow packet. You can do a titration with it. You can do a wavelength measure with it. It's just, it's just an easy, well-accepted test. Now, there's a ton of manufacturers out there that are making this test, and I know people are very loyal to these manufacturers, so ask them some of the questions that you have. That's one of the benefits that you have when you are working with a trusted manufacturer is they know so much more about the test that we use every single day. The bottom line is you want a test that's easy to use. You want it packaged in a way where it doesn't allow you to fumble in the field, and you should have support when you need support. So to rehash some of the items I brought up back in episode 157, one of the biggest issues that people have with that DPD chlorine test is when they have too much chlorine, when they have too much halogen. Now, a sign of this is when you put your reagent in, you get a red color and it immediately goes back to clear. And you're thinking, I don't have any halogen in my system. I need to increase my chlorine feed or my bromine feed or whatever halogen that you are using. Well, you actually did the exact opposite of what you should have done there because you had too much and now you have even more. So if you ever see your test going red to clear, try diluting your sample. And after you dilute your sample, if you get a red color that is stable, that's confirming that you have way too much halogen in that system. So you wanna actually get some halogen out. You can do that by not feeding halogen for a while. You can do that by some bleed. Uh, there's all sorts of different ways that you can do that. But if you didn't understand what your test was telling you, inherently, you would have done the opposite of what you should have done. Instead of putting more in, you need to put less in. So understanding your test is paramount. So let's talk about some more interferences with this test. And if you're curious about the interferences on the test that you use, the manufacturer should have provided procedures. And in those procedures, they should have listed out some of the interferers. And they should have listed what to do when you get interference with that. If you're looking for a great resource, the Hawk Water Analysis Handbook, which is available for free online has all of their test procedures and also the different interferences that are on there and what to do with that. So if you're wondering where I got some of this information, other than just experiencing them in the field, I also looked at that water analysis handbook. And that's where I get a lot of my information when I try to understand my tests better. If you don't understand how your tests work or the interferences around them, Again, the Hawk Water Analysis Handbook is a great tool for you to better understand your test. So let's go ahead and talk about some of the interferences when we have a halogen test. If we have a high or low pH sample, the test may not turn the proper color. The red might be off a little bit. If this happens, then you can adjust your sample to the ideal pH range of between six or seven. You have things in your test kit that will allow you to do that. Keep in mind that oxidizing agents, that's what they do is they oxidize and you're not going to get the best absolute sample if you do do some manipulation to these samples it's just gonna get you in the ballpark. But knowing what these interferences are allow you to understand why you're testing and why you're getting those results better. So again, the ideal pH range is between six and seven. Yes, it will work above and below that, but the higher you get, it just doesn't like it. Also, high alkalinity can not allow a red color to develop. So the higher the alkalinity, you might have a problem with that. Same thing with hardness. 
although hardness is well above a thousand where I've ever seen an issue around that. So what do you do? You dilute your sample to be well below that. I know you've heard me say on other shows that your tests are your tool. So use them as your tool. Understand them as a tool. Don't run your tests and have your tests tell you what to do next. They can't do that. And if you're relying on your tests to do that, you're not doing this job right. My advice is, is that you know exactly what is going on with the system to the best of your ability before you run your first test. And then when you start running your test, you're confirming or disproving whatever theory that you have that's going on with that system. And now your test, you're saying, I knew it. That's exactly the answer I suspected. Or, whoa, that's really off. I didn't expect that at all. I need to reconfirm that test. If you're running tests and you don't know or have an idea of what's going on with the system, you are not ready to run any tests. We need to diagnose first and then use our test to confirm. Now, if you do get a funny color or if you get an answer that you just did not expect to get, I think you should jump up and down for joy because you just found a reason to get smarter on this topic. Why you are getting a stranger color, I don't know. But hey, I'm going to find out. Or what did I think I was going to get and why is that different than what I actually received at the end point of this test? Life gave you a learning opportunity. Please do not throw it away. Figure out what is going on. And then when you do, your test will make perfect sense. So we haven't answered the entire question yet. So let's get back to the next part of the question. And they're asking the difference between free and total chlorine. And as we say, we can say free and total halogen. So this goes back to how much oxidizer that we have in the system. Simply put, we want to see the killing power of what we are putting into the system. So we're going to test for most likely one or two of these items, and that is free and total halogen. Now, free is the amount of oxidizer in the system that hasn't combined with anything yet. It's free to react. Therefore, free is the amount of quick kill agent you have in your system to sanitize contaminants. Total is the amount of free oxidizer that you have plus the amount of oxidizer that has combined with other contaminants. So free and combined equals total. If I subtract out the free from my total, that will give us combined. And again, combined is the amount of oxidizer that is combined with organics. Most people don't record the combined, they just record the free and the total. Now, if you were in the swimming pool industry, you probably would record the combined. Because eventually, when the combined gets too high, people in the pool industry will do what's called breakpoint chlorination. And they will put 10 times the combined of chlorine or oxidizer in the system to burn out all the combined organics. And they do this because typically it's the combined that gives you that harsh eye issue. Uh, also, if you smell chlorine, typically that's a combined chlorine that you're smelling. So they do this burnout, this breakpoint chlorination to keep that at a level where the pool is nice and nobody's complaining and everybody loves getting in it. We typically don't have breakpoint chlorination in industrial cooling water, so we just don't worry about that. But know that that is a thing, and in the industrial cooling tower, we might maintain a half a part per million of free chlorine or maybe even a part per million on occasion. In a pool, you're going to maintain three parts or five parts or even more parts. 
Now we have bleed in a cooling tower, so we're constantly turning over water. We don't have that in a pool. So in addition to having all that combined agent in the pool, we're also putting stabilizer in a pool. So pools are a whole different animal. So a lot of people don't translate well between pools and cooling towers, and there's a reason for that. They are very different. So make sure you're treating what you're supposed to be treating. And if you're talking to a pool person about what to do with a cooling tower, just make sure you truly understand what it is that they do for a living and they may not have that experience for the industrial water treater. So once more, free is the available oxidizer that's not bound with anything. Combined is how much oxidizer that you have bound up with organics. Add these two numbers together and you get total chlorine. The next question is which one should we be using? So we now understand all the different oxidizers. We understand that we have a free test. We have a combined test. With the free and combined, which one should we be using? Which one should you be reporting? Unfortunately, there's not a good cut and dry answer. However, the short answer is you use the one that you're supposed to use for that account, or you use the one that your company says that you're going to use. Well, Trace, my company says use both. Well, there you go. You're going to use both then. Now, I've heard people say that the only thing that counts is free because that's the only thing that's available to rapidly kill anything that's in the system. And I 100% agree with you if we had a once-through system, or maybe we were talking about a clean-in-place system. But we are talking about, in this instance, a cooling tower, a recirculating system. So if we put something in the system, it's not just going to see it once it's gonna keep seeing it over and over and over again. That means it stays in contact with everything that's in the system. In my opinion, a total test is very justifiable and it's a great way to gauge the amount of total oxidizer in the system. And because it's continuing to see those organics over and over again, the combined chlorine still has killing power. In fact, the combined chlorine has a specific charge that will actually enter the biofilm a little bit easier. So the short answer is use the test that you need to use for that account or the company says that you need to record, but understand that we're not using this for clean and place systems. And when I say clean and place systems, we've got some sort of process where we're doing something with food. And when we go to clean it, it has to clean in seconds because it doesn't get a lot of contact time. In a cooling tower, we get a ton of contact time. And there's nothing wrong, in my opinion, for utilizing the combined chlorine to go after biofilm. But I'm not going to stop there either. I'm also going to verify whatever we're testing for is working properly. Now, that might mean that we're running other tests. There are other microbiological tests that we can run. There's very specific biologic species tests that we can run. Some are mandated by water management plans. And now we've got a test that we're running on the oxidizer in the system. We're running a separate test to make sure that the system is responding well with that oxidizer. And if it is or it is not, the parameters are laid out in a document. And that document is called a water management plan. And Nation, if you are lucky enough to have a water management plan on the cooling towers that you treat, you have got a way better relationship with your customer. What do I mean by that? You have had a conversation with your customers that something could happen. We could get a high Legionella count 
in this cooling tower. And our goal is not to always have zero Legionella. Our goal is to take negligence off the table. Our goal is to have some sort of program where we realize that Legionella can happen in this cooling tower, and we want to make sure that we are treating that properly. And how we're going to do that is we're going to have a conversation before anything happens, before we're under any pressure of any test to make any decisions, we're going to talk about how does this cooling tower function? How does this building function? How does this team function? And now let's put parameters around that. And now that we've identified that one of the hazard points is the cooling tower, what are we going to do in that cooling tower to make sure that we're monitoring for Legionella or maybe it's different biological activity? With that, we're going to say that we're going to treat the cooling tower with this oxidizer. This is how we're going to treat that. We're going to treat it up to a certain part per million. We're going to test that certain part per million, and then every so often we are going to collect a sample to see if the oxidizer is working the way that we think it should. And if it does, great, we don't make any changes. If it's not, then we make changes and we might even do some sort of remediation to knock that back down to a level where we are safe, where we are maintaining that program. We always learn every time we do that, and we might decide, you know what, we're going to start adding this to the program, but that's what a water management plan is. And yes, I did say you are lucky if you have a water management plan because that was a very easy conversation to have with your customer because nothing was going on. Nobody was excited. There wasn't a positive Legionella test. We were just talking, hey, what happens if? And then when it does happen, we simply respond to the plan. So if you're out there and your customer says, I want a water management plan, please do not shy away from that. That is one of the best decisions you and your customer can make because now it's not just putting oxidizer into a system, you're actually working together to make sure that that oxidizer is working and you have different checkpoints to go along the way to verify and document that it is indeed working. And in that plan, it's going to tell you if you're testing for free, if you're testing for total, if you're going to do a shock every so often, if you are going to test for a certain species of whatever every so often. All of that is going to be in that water management plan. So if you have one of those, whatever that tells you to run, that is what test you are going to run. So let's recap all of the things that we've talked about today. First off, we said that halogens and oxidizers are words that we use interchangeably. And we might add chlorine and bromine or some other oxidizer in there as well. You can call it whatever you wish, just make sure that you are consistent with how you describe that with your clients. Also, we typically use chlorine and bromine in cooling towers, and there's a whole bunch of blends out there. Make sure that whatever you're using is registered for that specific use. That can be a very unpleasant conversation if the right person asks you about something that is not registered. Also, most of us are using the DPD method chlorine test or halogen test, and that allows us to have a free version and a total version. And when we say total, that's the same thing as saying the free chlorine and the combined chlorine or halogen, and then encourage all of your customers to have some sort of water management plan because now we're getting everybody to be proactive rather than reacting to a Legionella test that they might do once a year. And then finally, know your tests. Know how your tests work. Know how you know when your tests are not giving you the correct answer. And the best way to do that is to make sure you have some sort of diagnosis before 
you are running any sort of test. Your test should either prove or disprove what you think is going on in the system, and then also understand how your tests work. What are the different chemistries in those tests? What are they going to react with? What are they going to interfere with? And how will you know? A great way to learn about that is your procedures and a great resource, whether you're using a Hawk-based test or not, is going to the Hawk Water Analysis Handbook. So much information around that question. We're going to put some information and links to the Hawk Water Analysis Handbook. I've also got some different procedures up on our show notes page, so you don't have to worry about remembering anything while you're driving from account to account. Thank you for the half a dozen people that wrote in around that question. As I said, that wasn't just one question. That were several people that I just morphed into one question. I hope that makes chlorine make a little bit more sense for you. I said chlorine, whether it's bromine, whatever the halogen, whatever the oxidizer is, our tests are our tool. Make sure that you're using them accordingly. And I'm just going to say it one more time because I feel I owe it to the Scaling Up Nation. If you run any test and you do not know either why you're running it or what you expect to get with the result of that test, you're not ready to run that test. Tests are meant to prove or disprove what you think are going on with that system. Folks, if you have ever gotten bored in this job, I'm willing to bet it's because you're not thinking along the lines that I just mentioned. There is so much to learn in industrial water treatment. And if you think you've known it all or you've just stopped challenging yourself to learn new things, don't do that. This is a great job. This is a fun job. This is a job that will always keep you on your toes you need to look for opportunities to make sure that you are constantly learning. And there is stuff everywhere that is trying to get you to learn it. Slow down and look for it. Use every single day. Use every single customer location to start learning something new or challenge something you think you already know. And when you do that, you will find a new spirit in industrial water treatment because you'll never be bored again. You're always challenging yourself. Other people will see that. You will become infectious to them and you will create this ripple effect. So once again, thank you for this question. If you have a question for me, don't keep that locked up inside your head go to scalinguph2o.com and you can do two things, one of two things. You can leave me a voicemail or you can go to our show ideas page and you can let me know what that idea is. Thank you for the people that helped me out with this question. Scaling Up Nation, as this episode airs, we are actually holding our live event for the Rising Tide Mastermind. This is like the Super Bowl for us. This is such an exciting week. And if you're wondering what the live event is, that's where we have all the mastermind members come into Atlanta and we just have a party. We, we really celebrate being together. I bring speakers in. We have different workshops. We've got different assignments that we do, that we share with each other, that bring us closer together, that get us further faster. And we leave just so energized, we can't wait to try some of the things that we learned at the live event. It's one of my favorite weeks of the year, and that is happening this very day. The Rising Tide Mastermind, I am just so incredibly honored to be a part of. We started it several years ago. And it has grown to over five groups now. We've got almost 60 people in the Rising Tide Mastermind. We've got a waiting list started. And it has just become part of our regular routine. And if you're wondering what it is, it's where we help each other get better. That's the simple definition of it. It allows us to pour into each other and allow others to pour into us. 
Let's face it, life is hard and there's not that many issues out there that are unique. So if I can share an issue that I am having with somebody else who's already experienced that issue, I don't have to suffer or stumble through all the mistakes that that other person made. They can say, I went through the exact same thing. And if you keep going on the course that you're going on, this is most likely what's going to happen because it happened to me. This is what we corrected and we were able to get it to this point. So instead of starting from step one, maybe you start at step six. And then when somebody else has a similar issue, you now have a refined way of doing that. And it just snowballs. The people within the Rising Tide Mastermind have just become so successful. And the success we share with each other, because if when somebody wins, we all win. We've all had a part in that. I'm just so proud of all the Rising Tide Mastermind members. And I will say that this group is not right for everybody. So if you're not somebody that wants to be better, if you're not somebody that's going to encourage others to be better, if you're not somebody that can hold other people accountable and allow other people to hold you accountable and let you know when you're missing the mark on that, probably this is not the right place for you. But if you're somebody out there that knows that you can do better, that knows that, you know, if you had a group of friends that understood what it is that you do because they do it and they can help you do things better in all areas of life, not just in technical water treatment, then maybe it is something that you should look at. And you can start by going to scalinguph2o.com and clicking over to our mastermind link and reading a little bit more about that. I just love the live event. You'll probably see some pictures on the website about the live event, and it is just something that if this sounds good to you, you do not want to miss. Well, folks, I hope to see you soon at one of the conferences that I mentioned earlier. I really hope that if you have a show idea that you let me know exactly what that is, This show would not have been possible if the people that gave me those questions did not give me those questions. And I do definitely have a list of questions, but I know if you don't send me your question, that list will soon run out. And I've still got 15 years of episodes to make. We're only on year five. So please do your part in helping me with that. Folks, I hope you enjoyed this episode and I will see you in exactly one week. Take care, everybody. Scaling Up Nation, if you keep doing the same things, you're going to get the same results. And that's why joining a mastermind like the Rising Tide Mastermind is a game changer in allowing you to achieve different and better results. You have an entire team that combines to help you get to where you want to go. The Rising Tide Mastermind is the catalyst to your next level of success. To find out more about the Rising Tide Mastermind, go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind.